Our first scripture reading this morning is the 111th Psalm. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the company of the upright in the congregation. Greater the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hand are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Our second scripture reading this morning is found from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. I'll be reading verses 21 through 28, Mark chapter 1. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching? With authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Okay, so here we are again. I've preached this text twice during our church history, but it's always as intriguing as seeing it for the first time. It's unnerving and it's mysterious and quite frankly out of our wheelhouse, if not out of our comfort zone. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is beginning his public ministry. He has rounded up some early disciples and off they traipsed to Capernaum. He's teaching in the synagogue, a normal worship service, we assume, and a highly disturbed individual appears, crying out, likely very loudly in a boisterous way, what business do you have here, Jesus? We know you. You're the Holy One of God. You've come to get rid of us. Now, I say highly disturbed, but in former sermons, I referred to this person as a crazy man. But even the message, Maxine, calls him deeply disturbed. Choose your adjective. And by the way, can you imagine what it must have been like for one of those brand new disciples 
who had come along for the ride on this trip, might they have been looking at each other and wondering, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? Maybe we should have stayed and come on the next trip. But back to the subject of this man's condition. What exactly was wrong with this man? Scripture tells us that he was demon-possessed and that Jesus exercised the demon. And it's not the only place we see this happening. Listen to verses 23 and 24, this same chapter. That evening at sunset, they brought him to all who were sick or possessed with demons. The whole city was gathered at the door. They were lining up at the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So if we're talking demons, it would appear that a normal part of the ministry of Jesus was performing exorcisms. Strange, but I don't recall a seminary class at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary entitled Performing Exorcisms 101. Maxine, did you ever take a course on casting out demons? Corey, Memphis Theological, did you really? Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't think Martha did either because we were mostly in the same classes and I don't think that she would have taken one without telling me about it. Now, I'm certainly not saying that these were not demons. But what I am saying is that we don't typically see demons being exercised in the church today. And because of that, some will argue that these may have been psychological disorders. We could certainly see symptoms of schizophrenia or dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personality disorder. I'm sure we could find some type of diagnosis in the DSM-5. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was a psychological disorder just without the fancy name attached to it. Now, whether we call it demon possession or a psychological disorder, one thing is for certain, it was a diversion. This man did not show up during the worship service to join in on the singing and to participate in a time of prayer. This man was not interested in what Jesus was teaching or preaching. He was there as a distraction, a diversion. He was there to provoke. He was angry that Jesus seemed to be invading his space. That Jesus had upset the status quo. When you think about it, Mark wasn't very interested in what Jesus was saying either because he doesn't record any of the sermon or any of the teaching in this passage, which leads us to the heart of the story and the lesson. What does Mark want us to take away from this episode? A couple of things stand out. First of all, Jesus does not ignore the man. Quite frankly, that easier said than done. It's like, uh, you know, where are the ushers when you need them? It's like, stop counting the offering money in the back and get in here. We need you now. Call security. Get this crazy man out of here. I mean, for goodness sakes, this is embarrassing. What if we have visitors today? 
They'll never darken the doors again. Just in case we forget, there is nothing too big or too scary or too disturbing or too, e too evil for Jesus to handle. As we see over and over in his public ministry, Jesus was not only not scared away by these situations, he welcomed them and in fact, sometimes sought them out. In the next chapter, when confronted about eating with sinners and tax collectors, Jesus responded by saying, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. So we see that Jesus doesn't shy away from the demons, the disorders, the diversions, but instead he actually ministers to this man. As Alicia was referring to in the children's sermon, he is able to fix people who are broken. And that's what he did in this situation. The second thing that stands out is that Jesus does not allow demons or disorders or diversions to have control. Jesus was not intimidated. Talked about this before. The crowd is amazed that he taught with authority, not as the scribes who really were the authorities of that day. The demons recognized him and were subservient to him. Jesus actively exposed the evil of his day, and he would not let evil gain the upper hand over his mission. To expound on this point a little more, I want to read to you a portion of a sermon by Reverend Rachel May, pastor of Boulevard United Methodist Church in Richmond, Virginia. She says, Friends, forget how we understand it or don't understand it for a moment anyway. Jesus understood this interaction as a part of what he had been anointed by the Spirit to do. To set at liberty those who were oppressed. His casting out ministry lifted the curtain on the age to come and allowed the people of Galilee to see these forces in unholy cahoots defeated. When Jesus responded to the unclean spirits that cried out in his presence, Mark is betting or at least hoping that you and I are going to be taken aback. Who is this that even the demons recognize? What day is it that evil is being brought out of where it has been comfortable for so long? Those are the questions Mark is helping us answer. Who is this? What time is it? She continues, this is the Holy One of God, and it's the dawn of a new era even the demons see, which is good news. Good news, first of all, because it assures us that Jesus came to do more than help a few of us find right religion. Jesus claim, came to reclaim for God what is God's own to touch all of the things that seem beyond our reach or broken beyond repair. Good news because secondly, if we can take this story with us, the story of evil telling Jesus to mind his own business, we will not be deterred when evil tries to tell us 
that our place is inside the four walls of a sanctuary talking only about our favorite hymn and what we wish was on the altar table. Because make no mistake, the powers that be are not interested in us finding something to say at the supper table, particularly if what we say channels the same spirit that anointed Jesus. She concludes, it's time to tell the stories of Jesus whom the unclean spirits obeyed, not because the world needs to hear us talk about demons, but because when we know who Jesus is, we'll go where he leads us out of our wheelhouse into the age to come. And so where does all this leave us today? The church, both gathered and scattered. Remember Paul tells the church in Corinth, you are ambassadors for Christ. You and I are representatives of Jesus both inside and outside these walls. Paul wrote in his letter to the church at Ephesus, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So what demons do we face in our world today? What evil is out there trying to create a diversion to untrack the church from what the church is to be about in the kingdom of God? Where is the spiritual wickedness in high places in our world? I will leave that for you to ponder for there may be many choices there. I don't have any doubt that we are able to recognize the demons and diversions and the evil in our world. The question is, how do we respond? Well, if we follow the example of Jesus in this passage, we won't ignore evil and expect it to go away. We won't lock the doors if and when we hear evil knocking. We will try our best to minister to help, to listen, to heal the broken heart. But at the same time, we cannot allow the evil in our world to take over, to have the final word, to become a diversion that attempts to derail the kingdom of God. We won't confine ourselves and our influence to what happens inside these walls. We won't be silent when in the presence of brokenness. We won't turn the other way and pretend that things are okay. So I ask again, what demons do we face today? Where is the evil in our world? But the more significant question might be, how do we respond? Let's pray.